1: Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co.
2: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. tika.com
3: The rights of Asian Americans and Black Americans are not mutually exclusive but interconnected. White supremacy historically and still today makes us believe that they're in opposition but they're not. This is why Black and Asian Americans really, really, really need each other and must be there together for the struggle.
0: The image is fixed in my mind. Malcolm X lays unconscious on the ground with his shirt open and soaked in blood. His arms are spread as people give him medical attention in Harlem's Audubon Ballroom on February 21st, 1965. The photograph only captures the faces of two people, Malcolm X and a bespectacled Japanese-American woman who cradles his head in her hands. When I first saw this photo as a 23-year-old graduate student, I wondered, who is this Asian woman cradling the assassinated Malcolm X? I had to find out I learned her name was Yuri Kochiyama and the more I learned about Kochiyama the more I learned about other Asian American activists who helped extend the heartbeat of anti-racism beyond the lifespan of any individual even a giant like Malcolm X I'm Ibram X. Kendi, and this is Be Anti-Racist. Yuri Kochiyama grew up in San Pedro, California. She endured anti-Asian racism as a Nisei, a child of Japanese immigrants. During World War II, Kochiyama and her family were among the 112,000 Japanese-Americans incarcerated in internment camps run by the federal government on the West Coast. The newspaper headlines were, get the Japs out. And not just the newspaper headlines,
3: but there were signs all over, get the Japs out, get the Japs out.
0: She was painfully aware of how it felt to be seen as a stranger and a threat in your own home.
3: I tell you, the Japanese Americans, and even the Issei's first generation who could not become Americans, They were so American, and yet the hysteria,
0: the suspicion of Japanese people was very, very strong. In 1960, Kochiyama moved to Harlem, where she worked with Black, Asian, and Latinx organizers to advance civil and human rights. After being arrested at a protest in 1963, Kochiyama met Malcolm X. They shared a birthday. May 19th, and developed a friendship that would last the rest of his life. One night in 1964, Malcolm X spoke to a group of survivors of the Hiroshima atomic bomb in Kochiyama's apartment. You were bombed, he said, and have physical scars. We too have been bombed, and you saw some of the scars in our neighborhood. We are constantly hit by the bombs of racism, which are just as devastating. Half a century later, the bombs of anti-Black and anti-Asian racism continue to detonate. While Black Americans died at disproportionate rates from COVID-19 and at the hands of police, hate crimes against Asian Americans jumped 150% in 2020. Racist references to COVID-19 as the China virus or Kung flu inflamed anti-Asian violence, including the tragic murder of six Asian women who worked at massage parlors in the Atlanta metro region. And yet, Asian Americans are considered by racist Americans to be the model minority. By this purview, Asian Americans are assimilated, wealthy, high-achieving, and law-abiding citizens not like the problem minority, black people. But this framing veils many Asian Americans and obscures American history. It veils the racist and classist immigration laws that prioritized highly educated people from East and South Asian countries. It veils all the poor and working class Asian Americans and the fact that Asian Americans experience the highest amount of income inequality of any racial group in the United States. It veils the anti-Asian attacks before the pandemic. It veils all the connections between the Black and Asian experiences inside and outside of the United States, connections that bonded Yuri Kochiyama and Malcolm X. Yuri Kochiyama and her husband, Bill, helped to secure the U.S. government's formal apology and reparations to Japanese-American survivors of the internment camps through the Civil Liberties Act of 1988. Reparations for Japanese-Americans inspired activists to continue the reparations fight for Black Americans. Yuri Kochiyama passed away in 2014, but her life gave me a window into Asian anti-racist activist and their long-standing bond with activists of other races. Asian and Black activists leading the Yellow Power and Black Power movements exchanged ideas and stories about their own communities' experiences of racism. Richard Aoki, a Japanese American who endured incarceration in an internment camp, was a founding member of the Black Panther Party. Kochiyama and Malcolm X understood we are all being bombed by the structures of racism. This isn't a fight just for Asian Americans or Black Americans or any other group of Americans. This is a fight for us all. This is a fight for humanity. Welcome to Be Anti Racist, an action podcast where we discuss how to diagnose, dismantle, and abolish racism, how to save humanity. From the divisiveness of racist ideas and the destructiveness of racist power and policy. How to free humanity through the unity of anti racist ideas and the constructiveness of anti racist power and policy. On Be Anti Racist, we discuss how to make the impossible possible and how to bring into being what modern humans have never known a just and equitable world. You ready? Let's roll.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
4: Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. Happy International Women's Day.
1: Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakeables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA Member, FDIC, Copyright 2024. JPMorgan Chase & Co.
3: I see some Asian Americans who call out other Asian Americans as, you're being anti-Black, stop being so anti-Black. And I'm like, I don't think scolding is going to work. I think you need to first talk about reconciling with what you went through, that you have been taught to deny and suppress and open that up. And only through opening that up, opening up your vulnerability, will you really be able to fight for a more equitable country.
0: Kathy Park Hong is a Korean-American poet, writer, professor, and the poetry editor at The New Republic. Her recent book, Minor Feelings, An Asian-American Reckoning, reveals the unique duality of hyper-invisibility and hyper-visibility experienced by Asian-Americans. Minor Feelings was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and won the National Book Critics Circle Award for autobiography. I recently spoke with Hong about the uniquely Asian-American experience of living at the intersection of racist vilification and the stereotype of the model minority. I've been looking forward to talking to you. I think I can speak, hopefully, for many people who've had the chance to read your latest book. Not only was I blown away with the way in which you integrated your personal story with some of these larger ideas and even histories, but to me, how critically important this book is for the here and the now. Mm -hmm. Specifically over the last year, there has been, for better or for worse, more and more mainstream conversation around the Asian-American experience. How hard is it to talk about the Asian-American experience since the term even Asian-Americans encompasses so many (laughs) groups?
3: It's a conversation that always starts off with like 10 minutes of qualifications. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm only speaking from my experience. (laughs) I'm just a tiny sliver of a demographic. Asia is a continent after all, (laughs) you know, almost as a way of safeguarding inevitable rebuttals where rightly, Asian Americans are like, well, you're not representing my experience. How could you not be representing my experience? And I think part of that defensiveness, this is how I feel too, is because there's been such a dearth of public exposure of all the many different kinds of Asian American experiences so that when there's one filmmaker, one fiction writer, novelist that breaks out, there's both celebration and excitement but there's also defensiveness because inevitably as it happens to most minorities american mainstream culture is likely to be like oh this is the singular asian american experience so i've been very gratified and really honored and humbled is really the most apt term for how people have responded to my book but when people say as they have a couple interviewers said in the past that the book is representative, or it's like I'm a spokesperson or something, you know, I want to run the other direction. (laughs) But I do think that one bright side to this very, very, very dark year is that I have noticed among Asian Americans, they're much more emboldened, Mm. daring, much more radicalized. And I just think there'll be a lot more conversation about Asian Americans, all the different ways they fit into the racial history of this country and the racialized present, and also the kinds of stories and artworks that they're going to produce. Not that it hasn't been happening, but I hope there's even more.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I can relate in the sense of, you know, Black Americans in this country have often been radicalized or a certain sense of solidarity has emerged.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: through years of terror.
4: Yeah. And obviously mm-hmm. the
0: Asian American community has been subjected to all forms of terror and mm-hmm. violence. And so you're saying you're seeing somewhat of the same phenomenon.
3: Yeah. I mean, in writing Minor Feelings, I was definitely inspired by the Black radical tradition. Mm-hmm. So many of the thinkers, Baldwin, Moten, Morrison. Harrison, It's just a long, long tradition. What I'm also inspired by is how African Americans have used those years of white supremacist or racial capitalist terror and really turned their race into an oppositional identity. Black is an oppositional identity. And I think that that is what I'm trying to impart when I do talk about the Asian American identity to some Asians who feel that term is very abstract or constraining, I'm like, you don't have to think of it as a label, but more as something that is oppositional or aspirational, something that's more about coalition building.
0: One of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you, Kathy, Mm -hmm. is because for the better part of roughly six to nine months, there was some conversation about anti-Asian violence, specifically as a result of the pandemic and the slurs that emerged around it. Mm -hmm. In recent months, specifically with the attack on critical race theory, Mm -hmm. Asian Americans have been spoke about in a different type of way, Uh (laughs) primarily coming from conservatives, some Asian Americans, but mainly white conservatives who are saying that critical race theory is anti-Asian. Asian
3: Asian Americans, yet again, being used as a wedge. (laughs) This is why I find media so frustrating because I know that the majority of Asian Americans are still fighting for racial justice in solidarity with Black Americans, Indigenous Americans, and Latinx Americans. Quite frankly, I have not been following the critical race theory debate as closely as I could because I find the controversy so manufactured by conservatives and so stupid and maddening and absurd. It's really surreal. It's like arguing with QAnon conspiracy theorists. Let me just say that what white people are enraged about is that many of us are finally trying to understand and read about an American history and culture that hasn't been censored, whitewashed, and sanitized by the victors of history. A history where whites and men have to be held accountable for past injuries, injustices, and they cannot stand that. To say critical race theory is anti-Asian is to not understand that this history includes Asians. When I was growing up, the history that I learned, a lot of it was not true. The stories about indigenous people who were happy to be civilized by Spanish missionaries. It was also a history that had nothing to do with me or how I got here, for instance, I did read a little bit about the Korean War, but it was about the heroic fight for democracy won by Americans and for which Koreans were eternally grateful. The self-congratulatory perspective of the white powers that be, which had nothing from a Korean perspective, it wasn't until much later that I learned that 4 million Koreans were killed during the war. Critical race theory, I don't even like to call it that, I want to call it American history and literature, the uncensored and unabridged version, means that Americans will also understand more Asian Americans. And when I was reading that Asian Americans are emerging as a strong voice against critical race theory, that's also bullshit, it's wrong. There's so many activists and Asian Americans who don't Prescribed to these conservative talking points. It's similar to saying that Asians are against affirmative action when, in fact, 70% of Asians support affirmative action. Whoever is making these claims is not listening to what Asian Americans have been saying throughout this whole year. They haven't been listening to the outpouring of anger and grief and this kind of mantra that no one is listening to us, we're invisible. We are a racial minority who have been oppressed or victimized for this many reasons. The Asians who say that critical race theory is anti-Asian are the Asians who need critical race theory the most <laughs> because they don't understand that they're being used and instrumentalized by tone-deaf white conservatives to delegitimize Black struggle and how this mon- minority Myth has been used as a cudgel against civil rights movement and the Black struggle for equality. (sighs) By denying that we learn about race, which means learning about the real truths about Asian American histories, these Asians are basically denying their children to learn about themselves. Asian Americans were part of the formation of critical race theory from the beginning, Marie Matsuda wrote a great response to this. She was one of the activists who was part of the Third World Liberation Front from the Bay Area in 1968 that demanded ethnic studies.
0: Marie Matsuda had to come out and be like, uh, (laughs) what are you talking about? Asians were always part
3: of the struggle for schools to not whitewash Asian Americans.
0: You talk in your book about the way in which Asian-Americans are used to keep Black people down. Uh So I've seen this shift in which the predominant conversation was that Asian-Americans were suffering violence, and then seemingly almost overnight, that was lost to, oh, let's now continue to project Asian-Americans as the model minority. Suddenly, Asian-Americans demonstrate racism doesn't exist. (laughs)
3: it's almost like Asian Americans were abstracted as this rhetorical cudgel that they bring out of their closet whenever they feel that Black Americans are being too, quote-unquote, uppity or overly outraged, and then they say, okay, well, look at these Asian Americans, which is like we don't actually exist. It's complete abstraction, and it's a real pity that that's the case. These conservatives their idea of asian is so offensively narrow they're not only perpetuating the nefarious model minority myth they're also ignoring the fact that asian americans have the biggest wealth gap this whole (sighs) brouhaha about how asians are successful they don't fit the racial prototype the reason for that is because after 1965 there was a quota where the Asians who were allowed in were professional engineers and doctors. So, of course, their children will be successful. It doesn't have to do with meritocracy. Compare that to, say, Cambodians and Bhutanese who came here as refugees, and many of them are still struggling, and they need affirmative action and other government-funded programs. We all do.
0: What's striking to me is the invisibility that you reference in terms of Asian Americans also extends to the invisibility against anti-Asian racism. And then that even extends to the invisibility of Asian Americans who are fighting against racism. Mm -hmm. I was delighted in your book to learn even more about Yuri Kochiyama, who is one of my heroes. And so if you could speak a little bit about her role in history, her story.
3: Oh yeah, of course. Yuri Kochiyama is a Japanese-American activist. She was second generation born in California. And for the earlier part of her life, she was very apolitical, very Christian, had mostly white friends and all of that. And then she was sent to the internment camps with her family. People have some grasp of the internment camps in the U.S., but what they don't understand is like the deep discrimination against Japanese Americans post internment camps. Yes. So once the Japanese Americans left, they were dispersed across the country so they wouldn't amass into kind of an angry collective. They were also discriminated from getting jobs and so forth. So she had a hard time finding jobs around where she lived so she moved to New York. She ended up working in Harlem in this restaurant and her fellow waitstaff were black and she became friends with them. And it was the first time she really learned about America's racist past. And she learned about the history of slavery and Jim Crow and all of that. And she also realized the great crime that America committed against her Mm. and other Japanese Americans. So she became radicalized through these Black friends. And it was sort of like, I guess you could say, the miseducation of Yuri Koshiyama (laughs) from that point on, where she became very involved with the civil rights movement, with the local politics of Harlem. And then she became friends with Malcolm X. And from that point on, she was just an integral part of that black struggle. I mean, she was just always there fighting. And there's a photo of her actually, which is how I came across her. When Malcolm X was murdered, there's her holding his head up. And that was the first time I saw her. I was like, who's that Asian woman (laughs) in that picture? And then she went on. I mean, she was just very generous. She fought for Puerto Rican independence. She was also among many of the Japanese Americans who fought for and received some reparations for the Japanese internment Mm -hmm. and
0: so forth. I actually learned about it the same way you did. I came across that picture. Yeah, I asked the question like, who's this Asian woman? (laughs) And then (laughs) I learned her name. Uh And then I learned about her life. And then that then caused me to want to research even more. Mm-hmm. And then it allowed me to connect anti-Asian racism to anti-Black racism.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: W. Du Bois, during his life, thought Black and Asian solidarity were critical. And throughout your book, you spoke to that, mm-hmm. the critical importance of solidarity between Black and Asian peoples.
3: There are so many instances throughout history Black Americans have been there from the beginning, backing Asian Americans. Going back to what Frederick Douglass said, he was against the immigration ban against Chinese Americans. He said, when there is a supposed conflict between human and national rights, it is safe to go to the side of humanity. I could go on about like, the examples of interracial solidarity the black support for filipino freedom fighters during the philippine american war or how the term asian american wouldn't exist without the support of the black power movement in 1965 filipinos and central american farm workers locked arms and went on the delano grape strike yeah i think some asian americans are aware of it it's interesting that my book is now being translated it's coming out in Korea. And I had to write a prologue for it. And I think a lot of Koreans have not a lot of understanding of race in America. And I just had to emphasize in the prologue how, if we're going to be talking about indebtedness or gratitude, as well as solidarity and coalition building, I was saying that much of the rights that Asian Americans gained in the U.S. wouldn't have come about without the support of Black Americans and their own ongoing struggle for justice. Another example I would point out, my parents came after 1965, which is the Hart-Seller Act, where they finally opened up the immigration ban against Asia and Asia. Africa and Latin American countries. And part of the reason why they opened up the country was because of the civil rights movement, because Mm. of the footage of Black struggle and the violent exposure of Jim Crow Mm. spreading around the world. Cold War politics was being combined with civil rights and so forth. And America was afraid. They were trying to stamp out communism and what was happening in America was making America look bad. And I tell my parents, and I think maybe a lot of older generation Asian immigrants don't know that they wouldn't be here if it weren't for black struggle. And also later on during the late 60s, during the Vietnam War and the black power movement, there was a coalition of Asian Americans who also demanded equity and to be recognized as people, yeah. there was a real ship during that time. There were ships throughout history since then. But I think that was, I don't know, for me at least, that seemed like a very pivotal, seminal moment because that was the birth of the term Asian American, mm-hmm. which again, wouldn't have come about without the Black Power movement.
0: And I can say certainly the inspiration has gone both ways. As you know, there were civil rights and Black power activists who were inspired by Asian revolutionaries, by Asians who engaged in the decolonization movements across Asia. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of the Bandung Conference in 1955, the Asian African Conference, where you had all these people who were engaged in struggles to decolonize their countries, who came together, under one principle of Mm self-determination. And even Malcolm X in one of his most famous speeches (laughs) references the Bandung Conference when he's talking about the importance of solidarity.
1: And once you study what happened at the Bandung Conference and the results of the Bandung Conference,
5: it actually serves as a model for the same procedure you and I can use to get our problems solved. At Bandung, all the nations came together.
1: They were dark nations from Africa and Asia. Some of them were Buddhists. Some of
3: them were Muslim. Some of them were Christian. Some of them were Confucianists. Some were atheists.
0: Despite their religious differences, they came together.
3: Yeah, people don't talk about that Bandung conference as much or that multi-ethnic coalition that was happening with the Third World Liberation Front. Yeah. Yeah, and also the fact that Black Panthers were very much influenced. I mean, they're not. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't know what they were going to become. <laughs> you know, Ho Chi Minh and Mao. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, Martin Luther King being inspired by Gandhi. Exactly. So there was that kind of real mutual influence happening in their fight for justice against white imperialism. And it's different now. You know, I think there's still this, I don't know, maybe it's not. I mean, do you think it's different?
0: I actually do. I think in the 60s, Mm -hmm. People, because they were closer to those very profound coalitions that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. because they knew and saw even those inspirational African and Asian new heads of states or revolutionaries coming together, or they saw members of the Black Panther Party selling little red books (laughs) to make money.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: I just don't know whether people in the Black community and people in the Asian community are knowledgeable about that history of solidarity Mm -hmm. today. And I think that combined with white supremacists trying to urge both communities to imagine that they are in opposition, Mm
5: -hmm.
0: yeah, I just wish we were able to really recover that history. But now, their efforts to not even teach history (laughs) in schools... (laughs)
3: I would also like to see more of a curricular emphasis or just more conversations about interracial solidarity and interracial conflict, because I think that's just under-examined. I just think right now, because of the way racial capitalism divides people of color, there's so much fractiousness. There's real attempts at cross-racial solidarity, but I think there's still a lot of misunderstanding between races too.
0: Yeah. In talking to Black Americans and even Latinx Americans about the model minority myth, Mm -hmm. I try to remind folks that the framing of the model minority hangs on the problem minority in a way that both framings degraded both groups in different types of ways.
5: Mm
0: -hmm. Another reason why I really appreciated your work specifically, this book, is because it seemed to me that you were writing for Mm Asian-Americans. You even write that there's quite a bit of literature on the self-hating Black person, the self-hating Jewish American, but there isn't as much on the self-hating Asian-American. And you were very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. How were you able to draw that courage to be vulnerable, to be self-reflective, to even be self-critical?
3: It was very hard. Mm -hmm. I was kind of kept my life private, but... One revelation I had was after watching Richard Pryor's up yeah. <laughs> I was really just blown away by his caustic humor, honesty, rage, but also the vulnerability mm-hmm. and how much he was able to expose himself and the dark underbelly of this country through his humor. And I said, I want to do that. If I really want to get my perspective on race in this country, I have to write about my own personal experiences, not just experiences where I was a victim. I think it was really important to me that I didn't have a halo above my head Mm. to show the ways in which I sided with power rather than the powerless. Mm. It was important for me to implicate myself as much as possible that was also, I guess, part of the honesty. I don't consider myself a self-hating Asian. That's just one of the many facets of myself. Mm -hmm. The book was this sort of progress of the decolonization of my mind, how I decolonized myself of this self-hatred or this consciousness that hated the body in which she was living. It's not like it was his redemption, but I try to write about it as more of a struggle that some people can identify with. I'm Kathy Park Hong, and you're listening to Be Anti-Racist with Iram X Kendi.
0: You write that the indignity of being Asian in this country has been Mm underreported. I think that, in a way, this sentence can really speak to what we've even seen in the last year.
3: (laughs) I mean, you know, everyone always says about how timely this book is, but the elderly being pushed or assaulted or being demeaned or condescended to or harassed, that's not new. That Mm -hmm. was happening when I was growing up, countless times when I was with my parents, I don't think it's just Asians. I'm sure Black people, Latinx, a lot of immigrants can identify with this. To see someone who you are conditioned to respect inside the house, and then you leave the house and you just see them being treated like dirt, Mm. treated like children. It was so habitual that I was always on guard when I walked around with my parents. I felt both this hurt, pride and shame. I felt like I had to protect my parents rather than the other way around. That was more of the personal experience, but this indignity has been documented since Asians first landed in this country. They were always considered pestilence, vermin, inhuman, alien. And what was fascinating was that ugly racist attacks against Asians in America were then imported to the wars abroad, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, and so forth. So when Americans were going into other Asian countries under the flag of freedom, they were bringing that same kind of racism upon the people of that country. I think every Asian American will have their own ancestral history of what that indignity means. But that, since I'm Korean, my own personal references are the racism that I witnessed with my family. But then also before that, what they had to endure when Americans invaded the peninsula.
0: And so what did you think about the efforts around and ultimately the passage of the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act?
3: I don't know. I think that it didn't do enough.
0: (laughs) I don't think it did enough either.
3: (laughs) Uh Yeah. A lot of uh, Asian American organizations, over 85, I believe, oppose the bill before it was even passed because it doesn't do enough. They believe that it's PR, that the federal government is doing something, but they're actually not. You know, I think it's not enough to just have more stats. And what is very troubling is how these incidents of anti-Asian violence is being used as part of an excuse by the government to beef up law enforcement, which is the wrong approach. As an example, let's go back to the Atlanta massacre press conference. A police officer talked about the murder having a bad day,
4: right? He was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And yesterday was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did.
3: Later on, actually, a journalist found out that this police officer was anti-Chinese. So we cannot rely on the law enforcement. The aim should be on restorative justice. I think we need more community-based solutions. The rights of Asian Americans and Black Americans are not mutually exclusive, but interconnected. White supremacy, historically and still today, makes us believe that they're in opposition, but they're not. A friend put it to me this way, which I thought was very... Astute, Yes, Asians get hate crime by individuals, but Black Americans get hate crime by the police and judicial system. And most Asian writers and activists, I know, support police and prison abolition. But this, of course, is a very long uphill battle, which is why Black and Asian Americans really, really, really need each other and must be there together for the struggle.
0: There's a chance that if Trump doesn't run for president, that the Republican ticket could be a Black man and an Asian woman in 2024. Mm -hmm. And it seems there's just more and more people of color who are being funded at some of the highest levels to carry out white supremacy. Mm -hmm. You speak a lot about internalized racist ideas within the Asian American community. I speak about that within the Black community. So I'm just curious about your thoughts about the politics of this as we move forward.
3: Yes, of course. I mean, the reason why I started out with the self-hating Asian in Minor Feelings was I was also writing to many Asian Americans who had this kind of internal racism that was so corrosive mm-hmm. that their idea of belonging in this country means following this neoliberal white supremacist Agenda not only follow it but champion it, cheerlead it, and so forth. And you know, that was the only way to kind of survive in this country. Mm. Lorraine O'Grady, she's this amazing artist who said, In the future, white supremacy won't need white people. Mm. Uh, in America, minorities are going to be the majority in 2060. It doesn't matter, I think, if this kind of capitalist white supremacist agenda gets reproduced among BIPOC. Mm. This is something that I am constantly vigilant of and that I feel this sort of responsibility to really keep this conversation going among Asian Americans.
0: For people who are interested in potentially being a part of the struggle against racism in general, but even more specifically, anti-Asian racism, what would you suggest for them to get started, for them to be a part of this?
3: Read your book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, read Minor Feelings first.
3: (laughs) I would say, first of all, Stop AAPI Hate has all these different resources. They have a list of initiatives on how to help as an organizer or just as a sensitive person who wants to help in some way.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Movement Hub is a great place to find a list of Asian-American organizations. Asian-American Advancing Justice is also great. If we're talking about interracial solidarity between Black and Asian-Americans, that group and what they did to register and get out the vote in 2020 is a terrific example. I also think it's really important to support Asian-owned businesses like Black and Latinx-owned businesses, Asian small businesses were really hard hit by COVID with the risk of dealing with harassment. I know this personally because my whole extended family who live in California are in dry cleaning and they have really struggled throughout 2020 and 2021. Encourage local schools and libraries and communities to have diverse curriculum that includes Asian American history, as well as book clubs and discussion groups and so forth. And also, I think it's important to constantly engage and have conversations with family members who might not be as understanding as you are. During the summer of George Floyd, all these younger Asian Americans wrote letters to their parents and their grandparents and so forth, talking to them, trying to educate them about what was happening with Black Lives Matter and police brutality. And I was moved by that. And then I would say just read as much as you can. Read The Color of Success by Ellen Wu and Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. Another great book is Bengali Harlem by Vivek Bald, as well as poetry by Chen Chen and Tarfia Fisula and Monica Sok. Asian American Writers Workshop is a terrific resource to get yourself acquainted with their vast library of books. So that's my list of resources there. <laughs>
0: Well, Kathy Park Hong, I'm so glad we were able to spend some time together. Mm -hmm. Your book, Minor Feelings in Asian American Reckoning, was just extremely powerful. I'm glad Pulitzer named it a finalist. Thank you. I'm happy we were really able to talk about this interracial solidarity Mm -hmm. that's possible. That is certainly in the history of this country, in the history of the world, and the critical importance of building those multiracial coalitions to ensure that we build a multiracial democracy Mm -hmm. in which everyone will be visible, in which everyone will be respected, in which every community from older Asian Americans to younger Black women will be protected. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to figure out a way to build that with you.
3: Um, Me too. We'll do it together.
0: Definitely. All right. Thank you. Take it easy. Black and Asian liberation have always been informed by the unique histories and experiences of these communities. However, the racist realities confronted by Asian and Black people living in the United States have always been connected. After emancipation removed their access to cheap Black labor, railroad companies and other large employers exploited Chinese laborers forcing them to work long hours in dangerous conditions for little pay. Just as white workers in the South feared economic competition from free Black people, many white workers out West thought Asian laborers would lower wages and take their jobs. In response, Congress did not make it easier for all races to band together against capital, Congress passed restrictive immigration laws in the late 19th and early 20th centuries that originally were intended to exclude Asian immigrants, but were broadened to exclude Black people, Latinx people, and Middle Eastern people, as well as European Jews, Irish Catholics, Southern and Eastern Europeans, people with disabilities, and LGBTQ people. Then and now, racist policies hurt. Not just their intended targets, but everyone. Racism requires the fight of everyone. For Yuri Kochiyama and Malcolm X, this solidarity began with a handshake. When Kochiyama met Malcolm in 1963 and asked to shake his hand, Malcolm asked why. To congratulate you for giving direction to your people, she answered. They both gave direction to interracial, anti racist solidarity. We must all shake hands in struggle. We must all be anti racist. Thank you for rolling with me this season on Be Anti Racist. I learned so much about how to be anti-racist, about what racist policies we should be fighting against, about what anti-racist policies we should be fighting for from some of the most brilliant and thoughtful people around. Shout out to Rebecca Coakley, Heather McGee, Ari Berman, Don Lemon, Jamel Hill, Robin D.G. Kelly, Julian Castro, Maryam Kaba, David Troyer, and Kathy Park Hong. Shout out to all the folks who joined us on the Juneteenth mixtape, including Annette Gordon-Reed, Adam Serwer, Tia Miles, and Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Shout out to my great colleagues, Adeline, Tammy, and Heather, and all the good folks at Pushkin, especially Sasha, Alexandra, and Brittany. Thank you for all your help producing this season. But the biggest shouts are for you. Thank you for rolling with us towards figuring out How to Build a Just and Equitable World. I encourage you to check out the listener guides for each episode. These guides contain lists of further readings, resources, and anti-racist organizations to support. They are posted on the Pushkin website at pushkin.fm under each episode of the show. You can always keep up with me and my work on Twitter, at dr Ibram, and on Instagram, at XK and through the Center for Antiracist Research at Boston University. Until next time, I'm Ibram X. Kendi, reminding you that the racial problem is not the people who are pointing out racism. The racial problem is not what's wrong with people on the lower and dying end of racial disparities. The racial problem is racist power and policy, and the racist ideas upholding power and policy. The structures of racism are the problem. We can no longer be not racist if we hope to free humanity from racism. We must be anti-racist.
5: Be Anti-Racist is a production of Pushkin Industries and iHeartMedia. It is written and hosted by Dr. Ibra Max-Kendi and produced by Alexandra Garreton with associate producer Brittany Brown. Our engineer is Ben Taladay. Our editor is Julia Barton. Our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Lita Moulad and Mia Lobel. Many thanks to Tammy Wynn and Dr. Heather Sanford at the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University for all of the help. Speaking of help, an entire team of people at Pushkin Industries and iHeart Media helped bring this podcast to life. At iHeart, thanks to Conal Byrne, Will Pearson, Carrie Lieberman, Nathan Otoski, and Allison Wright. And at Pushkin, endless thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, Jason Gambrel, Sophie McKibben, Maggie Taylor, Nicole Morano, Eric Sandler, Christina Sullivan, Brian Sabrinik, Daniela Lacan, Maya Kanick, Khadija Holland, Malcolm Gladwell and Jacob Weisberg you can find Dr. Kendi on Twitter at dr. Ibram and on Instagram at Abram XK. you can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods and you can sign up for our newsletter at Pushkin.fm to find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen
4: your open space.